they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You may be seated. And remember, they had this for the sect of the Pharisees wanted the, the Gentile believers to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. And they came to a conclusion that, no, that's not going to happen. So they wrote letters, and these letters were delivered to the churches by godly men. And so, you know, we saw conflict in the church early in its infancy. And, you know, we have to realize that many of these saints, these early saints, these apostles, many of these early disciples, they were, they were discipled by Jesus himself or the apostles. It's not that they were taught incorrectly. They're taught how to live godly lives. But some of them who are called brothers, we know they were saved. They're called brothers, faithful brothers. You know, they fall into temptation and they let their own biases lead them into temptation and at times sin. Again, we saw that with the sect of the Pharisees. You know, you got to be like us. You know, we keep the law, we're circumcised. And they even said, you can't be saved unless you do that. Paul called this a false gospel, which it was. It was the grace of God plus this. And that isn't how it is. It's the grace of God, and that is it. So this letter was written and sent to these churches. And these churches are just being established. So the elders are new at what they're doing, the deacons, and the pastors they don't have the life experience. They will run into difficulties. They will need direction from the more godly saints, the Pauls and the Barnabas. And that's what this letter is. It encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words, words of wisdom, words how to address this false sect is what it really was going on. But what we see here is Paul and Barnabas are working in unity. And they have been working in unity to mature the churches. They worked in unity on their first missionary journey. They started churches. They discipled people. And some of these commentators felt they spent like six to nine months at each one of these places. So 
It was probably a period of years that they were working together. There was no doctrinal differences. They established this letter and were delivering it. And Paul suggests, he says, you know, let's go back and visit these churches that we started. You know, let's go check up on them. Let's go see how they're doing. See what other words of wisdom, what maturity we can give to them. Good idea. Excellent thing. Any young church starting up, church plant, needs that oversight, needs the wisdom from more experienced people. Again, young deacons, young elders, young pastors, this is a godly plan for Paul and Barnabas to go and disciple these young churches. But you know, every time God's kingdom is advancing and maturing, Satan will be there trying to set snares, trying to trip up God's people, And even the best of us in the church, even the best of us, the most mature Christians, can at times be tripped up by Satan, can be hindered by his schemes. Sometimes we're led into sin. Sometimes it's just that it hinders the spreading of the word it distracts or takes away from expanding God's kingdom. And we see a rift here between these two godly men. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought not best to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. You know, that's the source of the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Remember, John Mark was with him on that first journey. And we're given when he left, but we're not given a lot of details. It just says Acts 13, 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail for Pomphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Poseidon. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. You know, we're not told many details. We're just told that John Mark left. We're not even told that there was any disagreement or why he left. However, by the reaction of Paul in the future, there must have been significant, it must have been significant because it made a difference to him. And it made such a difference that he broke unity with somebody that he was working with or had been working with for years. Remember, Barnabas was called the encourager. He had a bond with Paul. It was he who went to Paul and brought him to the other apostles when the other apostles wanted nothing to do with him. And he encouraged them that Paul was exactly as he said, a converted man. And when Barnabas was going to Antioch, he went first to Tarsus to find Paul and wanted Paul to come with him. So Barnabas saw the potential in Paul right from the beginning. But he was called an encourager. He could see that. And then they went out, started their churches, that first missionary journey, 
face stonings, face trials. So these two men, these two godly men, had a history of serving God in unity. You know, they were well established. You know, with that being said, even well-mature saints who have served together, perhaps in many ventures, many missionaries, many churches, may come to a point where they have a personality clash and decide to go their separate ways. And that's exactly what happened here. You know, Paul, who faced many dangers and who would not back down when it came to the spreading of God's word, perhaps felt that John Mark was too immature to face the tasks that, led, that was ahead of them. He had already been stoned. He had already been persecuted. And again, we're not told why John Mark left. Perhaps it was he was immature and couldn't handle the pressure. But we must remember, all of us are imperfect vessels. All of us stumble and fall. And was Paul giving a loving rebuke here because he did not want this John Mark to fall again and damage his Christian walk? Perhaps he wanted him to be more mature before he went out. That tells us in verse 39, And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Again, this unity was strained. Was there sin between them? Was the breaking of working together in unity sin? Many commentators feel that one or both of them sinned. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Is it sinning if you decide not to work closely with a brother or sister in the Lord who you have a personality clash with? We know these two men were agreed on their doctrinal They're preaching and establishing churches when there was a disagreement with the Pharisees. They agreed that letters should be given and clarified. You know, there were complete unity on the decision of doctrine. No other doctrinal issues are mentioned. So are they sinning by not working together anymore? You know, what is Christian unity? What is Christian unity? Is it that you have to work with everybody that you ask you? Or can you have it where some people just rub you the wrong way that you cannot work alongside of them just because of their methods? Not that their methods are sinful, but they're different than yours. Can we have those clashes in the church and not sin? I believe we can. You know, in John 17, it tells us, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. 
Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I make known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which, with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Christian unity is the unity of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us. That is the bond. That is the unity we have with every believer in the world. It's the unity with the Holy Spirit, and because they're unified with the Holy Spirit, we're unified together. I don't think the unity between Paul Paul and Barnabas, the spiritual unity, was broken. They continued to serve the Lord. This is the key. They continued to seek out to serve God, to look for the tasks that God had given them, even if it was to be separate from the person they worked with for years. And they encouraged the brothers there. You know, and John Mark would mature to giving us a gospel. And what about Paul? Paul and Silas departed and being commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul kept on doing the work of the Lord. The unity of the Holy Spirit kept him going. He sought out, in a different direction perhaps, a like-minded believer, and he found one. God will always give us support. He will always put people around us that we can work with. In this case, it was Silas. And they continued the work of the church. You know, I believe the larger lesson... You know, we're all sinners and imperfect, and I'm not saying that Paul or Barnabas sinned. I can't reach that point. And I may be in the minority, but that's all right. What is important is that we continue on in spite of circumstances to advance God's kingdom, to do our calling. Christians will act unchristian at times, And again, did this bring about sin? Or was this a harsh rebuke? Did Jesus sin when he told Peter, get behind me, Satan? Did Jesus sin when he told the Pharisees, you're dogs, you're snakes in the grass, you're evil, you're wicked, you're sons of the devil? No. These were rebukes. Did Jesus sin when he made a whip of cords and drove them out of the temple? That doesn't sound very loving to me. That had to be a harsh rebuke. But Jesus did not sin. Is it a sin to have a rift with a brother or sister in the Lord and separate and go your own ways? It can lead to sin. Here we know that Paul and Barnabas kept the faith. 
We don't hear in the text where they went around backbiting or complaining about each other. You know, I've seen it in my lifetime in construction, seen it in churches, talked to people who were once or one time strong Christians or appeared to be, and they had a rift with the elder or the pastor. And I'll see them a few years later and ask them how it's going, and they'll say, I don't go to church anymore. That elder was a hypocrite, and I'll never go to a church again. They break unity with the Holy Spirit. They don't tithe. They don't gather with the saints. I've seen elders do it. I've seen pastors go into something else because the elders didn't treat them right. They leave their calling. Was their calling to be a pastor? Perhaps, perhaps not. And some leave the church altogether. And most of them I spoke talked to, especially the construction workers, it was nothing but backbiting and how evil they were treated and how they wasted their money tithing to such a church. So yeah, rifts can definitely lead to sin. But in this case, I don't believe it did. They kept serving God. They encouraged others to serve God. Colossians 4.19. This is Paul. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So this is Paul talking about the guy that he didn't want to bring along. Now later on he's saying, John, Mark is a great comfort to me. Did Paul's rebuke cause this young Christian to look at himself, to mature more and more before he went out where he knew he could be of great service, where he wouldn't turn back again? It appears like it. Because here Paul is recognizing the faithfulness of Mark. And in 2 Timothy 4, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And gone to Thessalonica. Crescens have gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Sounds like Paul loved John Mark. And I think his rebuke was that he didn't want this young guy to fail again and hinder his Christian growth. Again, I don't think he ever stopped loving him. Sometimes wisdom needs to rebuke people. You know, we're told in John 4.20, concerning the love among the brothers, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. But you know, when we look at that, what we are to rebuke, to correct in righteousness, rebuking and correcting is a loving act. Saying you're not ready yet is a loving act. I believe Paul may have been more mature and he could see that John Mark was not yet ready. Remember, John Mark was Barnabas's cousin. But Barnabas was called the great encourager. Did he expect too much of John Mark because he was an encourager? Was at the rift. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, that's the intention. To bring the servants of God, equip them for every good work. And at time it is rebuking and correcting. You know, perhaps Paul... Paul was very zealous. Perhaps he was over-harsh. Perhaps he was too judgmental on John Mark. But we know that he loved them. We know that in the future he worked with him. But God always, always brings people together, gives you new workers if one leaves. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Again, we must always look at the intentions of our heart. Is this for the benefit of Christ's kingdom? Are my actions for serving God? Or are they because my emotions are bruised or hurt? We must always seek out wisdom and in prayer. And many times it is talking to older brothers and sisters in the Lord. It tells us in Matthew six thirty three, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek God's righteousness. We must elevate him. And his goodness. Again, it all starts with the condition of our hearts. God will supply co-workers. He will supply people to come around us who will be faithful and work with us. And there may be those who get called to go somewhere else. We should depart in peace. But we should never elevate a pastor, a deacon, an elder so high that when they stumble or trip a little bit, that our lives are shattered or crushed, that we leave the faith and say, ah, this isn't working. How foolish. We serve God, not the elders, not the deacons, not the pastor. We serve God. And if we ever do depart from a church for whatever reason, we must continue to serve God and seek that out. And there are orderly ways of leaving and changing. 
that should be followed. And many times it isn't even sin. God works in other people's hearts many times to call them somewhere else for their spiritual journey goes in a different direction. Now Paul, we know that he's faithfully, goes down to Lister and Derby, which is an incredible, courageous thing to do. You know, it says, Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. Remember what happened to Paul the last time he was Lystra? But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Perhaps Paul looked at John Mark and said, he's not ready for this. We're going to the place where they stoned me, left me for dead. Will John Mark leave again out of fear? Again, they go down there and God finds and provides another young disciple for them. A disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. This disciple would become like a son to Paul a like-minded co-worker who would walk and be with him. You know, God uses these separations many times to advance his kingdom. Now you have two missionary teams going out at the same time. Barnabas and John Mark and Paul and Silas. So is this just God using Emotional differences in people, maybe character differences to advance his kingdom? I'd say yes, whether there was sin or not. Again, many feel that this disagreement rose to the point that one or the other or both sinned. But our God will use even that to advance his kingdom. I believe it was just God working in the hearts of these people to separate them without sin and have them start double missionary visions, missionary work. Because we see the unity in the future between John, Mark, and Paul. Again, there will be separations in churches. There will be conflict of character in churches. Get used to it. None of us are perfect. We all sin. None of us are righteous. None of us must be elevated to the point that we're looked at as gods or that if we sin, it drags down our faith. If we do separate, don't backbite. As a matter of fact, encourage each other. Pray for each other's ministries. Pray that God's church is advanced. God will do his bidding on earth here. He will advance his church. And the only thing he uses is sinful human beings like you and me. And we're foolish to think that there won't be rifts, there won't be conflict, there won't be sin. So it tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But when our condition of our heart is to please God, to serve God, 
these rifts will not deter us from faith. He who started that good work in you will complete it. And where he completes it may be different from where you're sitting today. It may be somewhere else in the future. But if God has started that work, you will never say, I can't do it anymore because somebody hacked me off or I didn't like his style or he speaks too loudly or he confronted me on sin in my life. You will go before God and you will say, God, show me the truth. Show me where I am to serve and forgive me if I have sinned. Again, our God does not start something in somebody and end it without completing it and maturing us. Let us just realize that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We serve a perfect God. We do not work with perfect people. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, I just pray that these words advance your kingdom and that we grow thick skins and concentrate on what we can do to serve you. And when conflict arises, let us do it gracefully like Paul did here, speaking so highly of John Mark. Lord, your ways are not our ways. And many times your ways may take people to serve you in a different way. Let us accept that and continue in the faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Would the deacons come forward and then we'll have a prayer for the tithes and offering and the loose money will go for the building fund. Please bow. Lord and our God, I pray that you use these tithes and offerings to advance your kingdom.